JB Knowledge Podcast Network. On episode 48 of the Insure Tech Geek Podcast, talking about landlord commercial insurance simplified with Ryan Leitzer from Obi. Sure Tech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific technologies we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. All right, all right, all right. Another Friday, almost done with January of, what the heck? January of 2021 is almost over? Is it feel, is it feel like a time warp to you, Rob? Like is it time, does. Are we it in a does. black hole? It didn't. Yeah, it didn't feel like we had really kind of a new year. I mean, I guess there was a little bit of fireworks and all that, but like we didn't really have a big celebration here and everything. Uh, we have a new president now, so yeah, that, I guess that's that happened. A change, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it still feels kind of a continuation of that bad 2020 episode, frankly. <laughs> but you gotta, you gotta love that. Like the high point of the inauguration was Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Right, <laughs> <laughs> like, like that would be the meme that catches fire. It's not that we have the very first female vice president that 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 didn't you know that that didn't make the the news. It was it was that we had men mittens. <laughs> we, we had and they were hand woven by by this wonderful lady in Vermont who has now gotten incredible amounts of publicity and and now the mittens are being made and sold online of course you know immediately uh, capitalism wins and the internet takes over which is hilarious, <laughs> hilarious considering it's Bernie Sanders right but it's it's uh fascinating deal and with us today from beautiful Chicago Illinois frozen tundra windy city Chicago Illinois in, in late January Ryan how are you doing I'm cold James <laughs> it's 20 22 degrees here right now and you're wearing yeah, a t-shirt in Texas yeah. but other than that everything's fantastic I hear in the windy windy city doing doing great today glad that it's headed towards the end of the week and close out of my Friday so and 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 uh, Ryan it is 66 degrees and humid here today so that's that's why that's why I live in Texas, and I, I go up to your neck of the woods in June, July, and August, not this time of year. <laughs> I'm going to mentally edit that out of the podcast <laughs> <laughs> uh, to make sure that I, I, I'm not reminded of that, because we have some folks that work in the, the Tampa Bay area, and we have an office opening up there, and oh, no, I, don't. I don't. I don't don't see it. Don't do it. There's a, there's a lot of insurance companies in the Tampa area for good reason, because they go down to play golf for tournaments and they're like, we're going to relocate our headquarters here because, <laughs> but I, I have, I have an insurance client down there in, in St. Pete and uh, it's like, I think it's 80 today. You know, I mean, it's pretty nice. So to, tough to, tough to beat that, but enough about the weather. Before we get started with the interview, don't forget you, you can subscribe to the Insure Tech Geek podcast. If you're watching this on video streaming by texting geek out to six, six, eight, six, six. Remember you can never miss an episode. Text geek out to six, six, eight, six, six. Back to Ryan from Obi. He's co-founder and CEO of Obi. That's Obi risk, O B I E risk.com. And we're going to jump in and just talk about you for a minute, Ryan, because you, 
you you share some common lineage academically with my illustrious co-host, the most interesting man in insurance. You you got a bachelor of science from Michigan State, and you have an architecture degree from Clemson, if I'm correct. So so tell me where where were you born and raised again, and then how did you end up at Michigan State? So I I have spent I I actually worked in reverse a few months ago doing a lunch and learn for our, our remote team. And I found out that I have had 25 addresses in 38 years, Whoa. which is pretty unbelievable. I've lived in Texas. I went from Texas to Illinois, to Michigan, to both of the Carolinas. Florida was mixed in there as well as uh, a brief stint in California. Our company attended Y Combinator. So I've, I've seen uh, a lot of the U.S. and lived in those locations, but I was fortunate enough to be a, an alumni with a, a bunch of other very, very, very smart people of, of Michigan State. And you know, my my degree at Clemson uh, led me down the path to you know the the real estate industry, was which subsequently put me in the insurance space just out of some some core frustration. I mean, isn't that funny? It's really funny how I, I speak at a lot of university gatherings, in particular in construction. I, I, I do a lot of work in architecture and construction because there's a heavy intersection with risk management. And I've, I can't say I've ever met a student who said they wanted to go into insurance when they were in college. <laughs> but you meet a lot of professionals in insurance and it's because you kind of find out about insurance later. It's a very odd deal. There are universities with insurance programs, but they're few and far between. And uh, certainly, now I know you also got to witness uh, a great deal of ath- athletic success while at Clemson, not the kind they're having now, but you can, uh, you can definitely claim some, some part of those national titles, right? Yeah, I, I saw Dabo Sweeney's first game while I was there. Fortunate enough to, to watch him climb, climb the ladder and get better than I think that D-minus grade ESPN originally gave him coming in as the assistant coach, <laughs> interim coach. <laughs> full-time head coach. Yeah. And I think that that little chip on his shoulder, he might've gotten from that grade from ESPN only drove him to, to where he is now. And, you know, while I was at Michigan state, I I've been a part of a, a few basketball teams there that have done more than decent. So the, the pedigree for, for sports throughout my tenure in, in the university setting has been fantastic. I can't complain. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing to see what he's done there. He's like the anti Saban, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's and, he's like it's like it's like good and evil. It's like Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. <laughs> you know, it's like you have one guy who like really enjoys himself, and the other guy who's up sixty points and wants to rip someone's throat out when they <laughs> when they have a when they have a false start penalty. You know, I mean, totally different. But enough about football. We've talked about you. What was the origin story for Obi? Like, what was the what was the the initial idea? You said that you got into property and, and real estate, and that really, out of frustration, got you into insurance. So help me understand what happened that led you to, to start this. So this actually started at Clemson. You know, day one, architecture school. I have all my classes set up, show up to my architecture studio, get through the first class. Next class, intro to real estate development. Took that class with Dr. Benedict, who, who runs the program there now, and I immediately started scratching my head and I said, oh man, I chose the wrong master's program. But I I was already pretty fixated on getting my degree done, even though it was a three-year, three-year gig. And I, you know, 
candidly over over a couple of months convinced Dr. Benedict to allow me to take every one of my electric credit uh, elective credit hours in the Masters of Real Estate program at Clemson, which is is fantastic. And I was able to then parlay that and convince an owner operator of a gross ranker shopping centers, office buildings, ground up development in South Florida to give me a shot and work on the acquisition development side of the business. You know, I, I saw the downturn of brick and mortar retail and I just wanted to get out of that part of the business and move from a, a large organization uh, family business with a few billion in assets under management to a much smaller private equity group that was, you know, two to 300 million in, in apartment buildings, value add, felt like I could be impactful. But I realized probably three or four months in that all those folks that were inside that office that I was used to working with, internal risk management, legal counsel, you know, all those people that were a component of the expense side of the balance sheet were now gone. And there were all third parties that were a component of, you know, running the property on the day to day. So property management, maintenance and insurance. And let me tell you, insurance from the other side is a black hole and you don't understand what you're paying for most of the time. And you run into a claim situation and you thought you got the right coverage. Turns out you don't. And you're typically dealing with a smaller brokerage that might not have the domain expertise in order to to put premium or or put a policy that is applicable to the characteristics of a landlord. So you're putting a lot of your your assets and your your income stream in the hands of an insurance carrier and a broker. And what I found was that it was very very frustrating to obtain coverage, lots of dealings with lenders, lots of back and forth, challenging with the brokers, giving us policies premium in an appropriate amount of time where we felt like they had shopped them around and were able to get us good pricing. And then, you know, no transparency into the process whatsoever, which, you know, it it puts you in a position where you feel like you have seven days to close. You just got the premium. You're borderline bent over a barrel. And it, it just felt wrong and nothing was being done about the insurance component, which was one of your largest line item expenses when, when operating a multifamily property. So, you know, I, I took a step back and I knew at the end of the day for, for an industry that is pretty old, you know, the only way to make a meaningful impact is to figure out a way to apply technology and automation around that. And, you know, that's, that's been our thesis and impetus all along is to to help out this this giant long tail of the market, their insurance needs with focus risk. We don't write a cyber policies. We don't write personal lines business. We are here to help you manage your risk for your your investment properties. And that's the only thing we do. And and when you get into investment properties, there's a lot of different type of investment properties, right? Um, sure. And it's one thing I, one thing I found as both an investment property owner and investor <laughs> and a technology provider for many investment companies. Can you help me understand, are you, 
are you are you in, are you insuring? Yeah, you're a digital broker, right? You're a di- you're a digital first broker. You're not not an MGA or carrier. So you're 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 acting as a front end. You're streamlining the entire process to getting this done. So when you're shopping this around, are you getting like short term rental coverage? Is long term rental coverage? Is this apartments and multifamily? Is this Airbnb properties? Like what what segments of this industry are you covering? So we we cover a commercial property, lessors risk. So office, retail, industrial property. And then we also, the I would say 60% of our portfolio are folks that have habitational risk, whether it's uh, manufactured housing pads, a single family rentals, folks that are just hobbyists, all the way on up to, we have a couple of folks with, you know, 2,000, 2,500 units in their portfolio. And we, we feel like we are the, the, the hose that connects what, you know, locked in will say, is not in their wheelhouse and we cover everybody kind of below that and and we try to stay pretty narrow and nimble there's there's properties that we won't cover we had a a laundromat with video poker machines come Ah. through our solution the other day we said unfortunately you know we're not able to place at risk right now we're pretty open with our customers when we feel like it's it's out of our scope and we can't be helpful the one thing we try to do is provide them with somebody who we know can be helpful. And we've continued to extend our network internally here. So it's not like, hey, we can't be helpful. You're on your own. Go to Google and figure this out. If we have somebody internally at our network, we try and plug them in. It's awesome. Rob? So Ryan, I love this outside in perspective that you you bring and love, obviously, the, the, the Michigan State background. So go green. Go white. And uh, maybe you could just talk a little bit more about kind of what I would describe as this outside in perspective that you're bringing. You know, I love the fact that you experience these frustrations firsthand, right? And now you're building out a company in OB that is is tackling this head on. Maybe you can talk just about, you know, some of the technology, some of the automation, value-added services. Like you talked about, hey, if if, if Anybody basically that's below, right, the the large appetite of an Aon or a Lockton or a Marsh. You know, maybe you could just talk about maybe what are some of those, you know, services or offerings or differentiators that you're offering that might be somewhat akin to what you would expect from a, a large broker, but are targeting the segments that you mentioned. Sure. You know, we first and foremost think of risk with a an investor's hat on. And we, we do a lot of inner office learnings, not only on the insurance side, but fundamentally it's hard to be empathetic with a landlord unless you know what, what problems they have that exist and what their motivation is for insurance, which is get the cheapest policy with the most coverage and why that's important. So, you know, Fundamentally, we know that for every $1,000 somebody can save on their premium, just in general, you're adding roughly $25,000 in portfolio value when when you're in a non-triple net-based property. So this is really, really impactful when you, you know, our 1,800-unit portfolio that we renewed in September, we saved him $190,000. We're talking about $2 million in added value when he goes to sell the property at today's current price. That is a lot of money. It's not only the money up front, but it's the money in the rears, you know, when he also has investors that he's beholden to. And he said, you know, he or she, they'll have a waterfall threshold. They'll say, hey, I'm going to produce 8% returns for you. And then anything and everything that I do on top of that, 
uh, to make the property better or the, the characteristics of the balance sheet better, we're going to have splits. So they're actually incentivized to make sure that that property sells for a lot more because at the end of the day, after their hurdle rate is hit, then they end up making a lot more money. And we try to make sure that once rent peaks, the only way to continue to add value is to figure out ways to limit line item expenses. And the best way to do that is to come to us and, and look at your insurance maybe a little bit differently, do a risk review, and then utilize our technology and infrastructure to make sure we're doing price competition the way it should be, which is we, we have a carrier matchmaking algorithm that's baked into our backend. It syndicates the, the risk down a funnel. And from that funnel at the bottom, we have, you know, based on the carrier appetites and the, the pricing guides that we get on a quarterly or annual basis, we are only shipping the, the, the SOVs and the Accord forms off to those carriers. And we're getting great, great competitive rates. And we're not irritating the carriers that ultimately are going to have to have an underwriter look at this and say, you know, we don't really write this risk. And then they come knocking at our door saying, hey, we had, you know, 15, 20, 100 opportunities, but I didn't, we didn't win any of them. What's the problem? Well, the problem was we were just spraying and praying. So what we're able to do is create price competition in a very price sensitive market right now in COVID when people are giving a lot of rebates away as landlords. They're the ones that are ultimately eating the cost for the expenses. And the system we originally built when times were great, when things needed to be done very fast. So by us being able to syndicate SOVs and Accord forms out quickly to the right carriers, we could get quoting back quickly. And we had automation ticklers being sent out to the underwriters to make sure that they got stuff back to us quick. We just flipped it 180 degrees when COVID hit because we knew that speed ultimately wasn't going to be the winner. It was price sensitivity that was going to be the winner. And we built technology around the price sensitivities we're seeing right now. And ultimately that might shift again in 12, 24 months, but we are building technology to make pricing quicker, more transparent, more consultative, and then adding in factions beyond just the premium in order to retain the customer to help them identify risks. So I have another, like, for instance, story. We were writing a, a uh, builder's risk, which will eventually turn into a full-time occupied multifamily property for a gentleman about two weeks ago. And we, we asked him questions related to how a landlord, you know, operates the property. How long is this a fix and flip? This is ground up. I'm going to sell it immediately as soon as it's occupied or it's ground up. I'm going to hold it. We actually got him to change his construction materials because he could see the long-term payoff by going with, instead of uh, wood-based construction, we went to a structural steel for the interior of the building because he's going to hold it for seven to 10 years. And the cost for bricks and sticks versus masonry construction with steel, the, the payoff was, was about three and a half years Everything else was a gravy train for him to spend an additional $5 a linear foot to add, you know, a different core construction component to it. So we're, 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 we're trying to be engaging and trying to provide things back to, back to the landlords where they can help mitigate risk, help drive down the premium costs, and ultimately eliminate claims if they can. Well, that's where your your architecture degree is is rearing its head there. Uh, certainly, I've spent the last 15 years in construction tech as well. And, uh, it, you know, there is a remarkable 
connection between property insurance and construction uh, because if you invest in really good construction technologies, whether that's the building materials, which is part of construction technology, right? Or whether it's in the the materials and methods used to build it. So you have a, a better quality build, you know, less water penetration, which is the number one loss cause, right? Water penetration, you have a bad building envelope. And let's say you have drones that scan for water penetration and envelope problems. I mean, there's a lot of ways to really prevent that. It's really a great connection between property insurance and the technology used for the building, you know? And it's uh, it's great seeing your architecture experience influence the the property insurance business. I can draw on all these oddball experiences that I never would have dreamed would have materialized into things that actually can help folks out long term. It's been a a journey for sure in terms of my educational background and then for it to come through and do a complete loop and be able to draw upon, you know, some of those experience I had has has been great for for our customers. I I think good for our business and you know Hopefully, long term, it continues to to play out. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah, let's let's talk about the geeky side of this. I'm sure. a software. I'm a software developer. And been writing code since 1991. So let's let's geek out for a second. Yes, uh, GW Basic, Q Basic, Pascal Fortran Assembly, C. Those those are my those Ooh, are my assembly, Yes, yes, I did it. I did. I did Fortran 90. I mean, I, I did the fun stuff. Right. So. Yeah, so let's so let's let's dive on this. Did you build your platform? If so, how'd you architect the solution? I mean, what what did you do to pull all this together? So this was a, a funny, funny, funny situation. Originally, we started with an outsourcing group. I didn't know a thing about about writing code, software development, best practices. I, I we were we were very green, and it showed. We lost. I want to say 85 grand and and got a, a product that was not even, I would say a quarter of the way baked. And they said, Hey, this, this project, it, we're not going to be able to finish it off. The founders of the outsourcing group had a tiff and one left and the whole thing just exploded in our face. And my brother, who's my, now my co-founder, actually, he's the one with the insurance license out of the two of us. He, he, he was in a, a funny situation where, you know, he, he had come out of school. He had, I run a national nonprofit and we ended up starting an, another business because I, I was out 85 grand of some friends and family money and some of my own money. And I said, I, I got to step away from this. Mm-hmm. And ultimately what ended up happening is I, I took, I, I just kind of started banging my head against the wall and I reverse engineered some HTML before I knew it, brought in some CSS. I learned JavaScript and I started piecing together what, now has become basically our application. It was a rudimentary, super hacky version. But my, again, my architecture background coming back, I can see and I design space for people. Now, whether that's a virtual space or a built space, I could still see the operational similarities between architecting a building, architecting, uh, you know, a master plan community or architecting software, the same the same situations you run into it, you know, the hallway is too narrow, the, the, the doors open the wrong way. You, you know, you read down, read down Norman's book about the, the best practices of design, you know, Norman door is something we looked at the, the first day of architecture school, the way a handle operates that the same is true in software. You know, you, you have to think like a user 
when you're designing software. And I think I was able to parlay that and eventually, you know, build out an engineering team internally here who was unbelievably underpaid initially, believed in the mission and goal of what was going on with the insurance product and was able to bridge us from from point A to point B where we're at today, which is, you know, a company with, I think, probably around 200 million in premium last September to now approaching 10 million in premium in force probably by the end of the month. So I've grown fast and, you know, we have so many things on the horizon for, for the software side of things. Sorry, you just, you mean 200,000 in premium last year? Yeah, 200,000 in premium. 200,000 to 10 million. Yeah. That's a huge yep. growth in, in gross written and in, in premium that you wrote. I mean, Let's just talk for a second on how we actually even define an insure tech because, you know, like what we, we've talked about this on other shows that Rob and I have done. How do you define an insure tech and how do you find a digital MGA or how do you find a digital first broker? And for me, it's that you from the ground up take a user experience based approach to digitizing the entire process of interaction, writing, binding, selecting you know, closing. I mean, it's yeah, because you because every every broker I know has a website, and almost all of them have portals, and you know, but but they're still trapped in these very 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 clunky processes for the initial writing and for renewals, and and they're slow, they're labor intensive, and they require a lot of manual data collection, and so for me, that's one of the really big parts of it. And secondly, is using data as a way to. I'm I'm doing this as a conversation starter, but I just feel like it's using data as a way to streamline underwriting and claims management, so that you don't have to do so many so much question asking. Right when I go through writing a, a policy with a digital MGA, I, I answer far fewer questions because they pull on public data sources, so I don't have to. You got yeah. So what what do you, what are your thoughts on that? On what what really differentiates differentiates a digital broker digital MGA? So, you know, you go through a standard questionnaire, pick XYZ captive. You're right. They have an online form and it's long and arduous and it feels like it's never ending. And our goal is to, you know, make sure we can furnish data from as many sources without you having to have a keystroke as a component of what's going on. So, you know, as far as some of our internal things that that we're we either have done or are currently working on from the, the commercial property side, we have a scraping solution that will scrape offering memorandums for folks that have just purchased or are in process of purchasing property. Brokers typically provide either a tear sheet or a you know a structured PDF. We are able to go through the entire PDF, scrape out the core components that are specific to insurance enrich the data set and only ask them things that are pertinent to, you know, closing out the minimums in order to getting, uh, getting it to a point where we can send out an SOV or, you know, send the information into an accord form. We have scrapers we've written across a ton of different websites in order to enrich more data. And then looking beyond that third-party data sources, folks could be using at least in our particular industry or like Estated, House Canary, we have a, a mapping solution that is in stealth mode right now that we're working with that is providing extended risk-based mapping solutions for us. So we're building out a widget with everything from uh, tree canopy density for the, uh, the chance of a tree falling on you to slope information, wildfire information, flood information right at your fingertips. And it's those kind of things that ultimately allow us to glean in on, A, what carriers we're going to write with, 
for our own product, underwriting information that now is new and novel that has never been explored before, and be able to give premium discounts when they're due rather than you know charging people with a, a blanket type of underwriting model that may be applicable to group X, but isn't really applicable to group Y. It's awesome. Rob? I just, I love the way that you've thought about this from so many different angles, Ryan. It's, it's pretty incredible. So what are the future opportunities that OB has that you're most excited about? I think you touched on a little bit there. And I, specifically, I guess I'm very interested in you know, IoT devices. And you already gave a great example of how you're influencing, you know, just construction to avoid losses, right? Kind of build it better. So I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts on, on IoT and then anything else that you see in terms of the future. I, I just love the, the loss mitigation angle that you guys have focused on. Yeah. IoT devices actually starts with the inspection service that we're, we're currently beginning to work with, which is Flyreel. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Flyreel, but they have an AI-based inspection solution. I think they were originally funded and brought out by State Auto. You go through a quick questionnaire, it's self-service, they take videos, they use AI in order to look into the videos to look at things that could be uh, issues for uh, the owner and then let them know that these are issues. And for us, it's not only an inspection tool for underwriting and, and ways to mitigate claims later on, but also allows us to, to see, hey, those pipes are looking rusty or, hey, your, your circuit box looks overloaded. Here are things that we can do. And then partnering with folks like Kangaroo for IoT devices for automatic shutoff valves. You know, I hate to say it, but a tenant is never going to keep the property up like an owner who occupies the space. So how can we eliminate some of these just really obnoxious things that typically play into losses, whether it's we can help you find somebody that uh, can vacuum out your dryer vents. We can set you up with a service to make sure that tenants are replacing air filters, things to limit fires, IoT devices to do auto shutoff of the main water valve in the event you, you have the, the water system and the IoT device is triggered. So a number of things that we think long term we're going to play into our mga loss ratio but really provide a lot of value back to back to the owner because frankly they don't want these situations to happen in the first place this is a headache they you know this is not a freebie for them they're you know they they might be able to have business loss protection but at the end of the day this is a real problem and they don't want to have to deal with it they'd love to have just business as usual you know, collect their check in the mailbox every month and not have to worry about it. And ultimately, we want to drive into uh, a situation where claims events really only happen when when it's a catastrophic event. Only the only outcome was because, it, you know, it's an incident that is forced by God and no one else. I think that's so brilliant, Ryan, because you're right. You know, these are headaches. It's, it's not just the cost, right, of paying insurance, but anyone knows, right, anytime you've got a maintenance issue or whatnot, right, maybe the, the tenant has to, you know, can't can't live there, right? And and you've got to, you know, fix up the property, whatever, now you're missing out on that, that income, that rent. I mean, there's so many different, it's an asset at the end of the day, right? It's an investment and protecting that makes just a world of sense. And, and it go, going beyond simply the, hey, if the worst happens, then we'll be there for you, 
right? But to help them actually proactively manage these properties so they never get to a, a loss in the first place. I, I definitely yeah. think um, that's a great example of when we talk about you know, almost embedded in insurance or you're buying it not just for the coverage, right, and the forms, but but actually for that management, that services component where insurance is a feature of a broader uh, product offering. So yeah, love love the direction that you guys are, are going at OB. So James, do you want to uh, cover some some news items for the week here? Yeah, sure. But before we do, I'll say like my my cyber provider does full risk assessments and intrusion prevention services that I, I, I picked them not just because they provided good limits. I picked them because they provided a whole suite of services on top of it to help me actually reduce my chance of a cyber um, breach. So, you know, there, and, and anybody who can come to market with that is more appealing to me. So the fact that you're really focusing on reducing total losses really matters to decision makers. So I think that's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, Rob, you had some, you had some good news stories that I thought would be fun to discuss. Why don't you bring it up? Sure. So this one kind of came across uh, the desk this week, a new offering called a new that's being offered by nationwide is going to be starting as a telemaintenance service uh, for homeowners pilot in the Atlanta area. And so for 1999 a month, a new will connect customers to a virtual home repair expert who will f- figure out like if there's a you know problem that they're having and you can upload video and potentially right if needed a new will recommend an in-home repair pro to visit to to, to verify the cause that 1999 actually can apply to the cost of any repairs and so again you know we were just talking about this but another example of an insurance carrier in this space in this case nationwide kind of going beyond offering those those value-added services. So I don't know if this will catch on or not. It'll be interesting to track its uh, progress, but, you know, very much going beyond the, you know, hey, we'll be here if the, the worst happens to actually helping people. And we know a lot of these kind of, you know, telemedicine, right? Talk to your doctor and, and other things have been uh, really popular. Hippo has something with Hippo Home Care that's very, very similar. So it's just interesting, to, particularly this one, right, with Nationwide, kind of following the OBs of the world, following the Hippos of the world into this space. So, Ryan, yeah. maybe you've, uh, you know, inspired some some action from some of those uh, those old guys. Well, he's going to inspire it by taking premium. <laughs> uh, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll eventually figure out if you can't beat them, join them or acquire them. And I think you're, you're, I think we're on, we're on the cusp of probably seeing that across the board, you know, the MGA space is, has been very interesting in terms of pushing limits. You look at root with telematics. I mean, nobody, I think in the big captive world could have even wrapped their head around telematics. And now you have Liberty looking at it. You have nationwide progressive looking at it. And I think they're going to come to realize that these, these, these guys were tech first insurance second, and they're going to ultimately end up having to, to buy them or acquire them or start acquiring small companies in order to get ahead. So you're starting to see the, the, the glimmer of fear, I think, in some of the large older brokerages. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm just glad it, because at the end of the day, a, a rising tide raises all ships for everyone. So this industry, I think, needs needs to make changes. And I, I hope that we're meaningfully impactful. But if everybody is collectively, it just makes things a lot better uh, for everyone. That's awesome. And uh, Rob, what else did you have? Yeah, I know. Uh, great to hear your thoughts on that one, Ryan. And this one also, uh, you might have caught uh, Lemonade CEO Daniel Schreiber on 
closing bell recently on CNBC, and he was saying that insurance is going through a massive shift uh, as it transitions to digital platforms, which we've spent this episode as well as many other episodes uh, talking about. And uh, I just thought it was kind of interesting. You know, the Lemonade stock has been up and down quite a bit recently. It's hit some all-time highs, and then it had a 11% plunge. I guess there was some short seller activity. I know in some Slack chats that I'm a part of, I read a lot of comments about how many people have have puts out there and you know, otherwise betting on the stock price going down. But a lot of these are are insurance professionals such as myself, right? So I don't necessarily want to take their side of it, but just kind of interesting, A, I think just the the reaction still, you know, even six months after the IPO to, to eliminate their offering, they announced recently they're going to be offering term life insurance as well as the, the pet insurance that they've rolled out in addition to their, their vendors in home. And I, I definitely think, you know, regardless of how you feel about Lemonade as an actual, you know, company and, and offering, these comments about that that move to digital platforms is is spot on. This is exactly where we're seeing the industry going. So obviously each company is taking a a, a different approach and and has a different strategy as it relates to going digital. But the pandemic certainly accelerating a lot of trends that we were already seeing. And I think Lemonade has has been a beneficiary as have many other. Well, the IPO at around seventy and they're at one fifty three right now. So you know the the numbers are the numbers, right? It's just the what what folks have talked about is just the technical spread is extremely wide on the, you know, the premium and profit to price, right? If you look at the profit, the the profit to price ratio, the premium to the premium to price ratio, I mean, it's it, it's a it's like a, it's like it's in a different dimension than other public insurance companies, and that's what everybody's trying to figure out: is it really that different or not? And you know, they're trying to wrap their head around that. And you know, as the, as the market grapples with that, you'll see the the price certainly fluctuate because that, that certainly will impact the value of the stock. So thanks for bringing that up. And certainly it's something worth paying attention to is uh, what's going on with the, with the public, the insure techs that actually IPO or get acquired by public companies and what happens with them. So that's awesome. Well, look, Ryan, where can people find out more information about your company? Listen, if anybody wants to come find out more about us, go to obrisk.com. That's O B I E risk.com. We you know, you'll be able to get a hold of me if you want to. You can fill out contact information on the form. Happy to chat with just about anybody. But if you're you're looking to get a quote, you're looking to drive down premium, you're looking for some some risk assessment. You know, we're we're happy to to help you out and be an advocate for you as a landlord. And you know, our our goal is to change the narrative that historically has not been super great between insurer and insuree. And, you know, I think you'll see that play out over the next three to seven years while, while we, we, we run this business here to, to, you know, at least a, a meaningful amount of premium, hopefully get somewhere in the neighborhood of Lemonade, Root, Metro Miles, some of these larger, other larger ones here in that period of time. So thank awesome. you both for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. This was a great conversation. Thank you. And Rob Galbraith, always good to have you. Great to be with you as always, James. Always a, a great way to end our, our week on the yeah, Geek Podcast. Yeah, just like clear our head and just talk it, just geek out about the future, man. That's 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 one of the reasons I do this, is it to it's like break break the cycle of everything else we're working on and focus on what's going on in the industry. And so I appreciate you as always. And thanks out in listener land for listening. This is yet another episode of the InsureTech Geek Podcast powered by JB Knowledge. That's jbknowledge.com. Uh, it's all about technology transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. 
That's jamesbenham.com with co-host Rob Galbraith, endofinsurance.com. A big thanks to Jim Greenlee, our podcast producer, Kara Daltonara, our creative producer, and thank you for joining us today. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next week. Thank you.